reading is from Luke chapter 9, verses 18 to 27. Once, when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowds say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. What about you? he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Thanks, Fee. It's a really challenging message this morning, actually, as we read those words and reflect on what Jesus says about following him. Um, so our daughter is come to the end of her school, uh, schooling and just going to do her A-levels. And um, the question then, and you can annoy her later by asking her, what are you going to do next then? Um, but it is the question, what do you do after school? Some people have had enough of education uh, and they want to go and get straight into the, the world of work and, and get a job. Others want to go to university and dig deep into a particular subject and, uh, and, and, and really explore. And then ask, well, what am I going to do after that? <laughs> Others will do this. They'll be an apprentice. They'll learn how to um, become maybe a plumber or an electrician or a carpenter. And uh, the question I want to ask us today is, do you want to be an apprentice? Now, I'm not talking about learning a new trade. I'm talking about being an apprentice of Jesus. Do you want to be an apprentice? Now, those three options when you leave school are all worthy options, and, and it will be right for different people to do different things. Uh, but there is that possibility that you can... Go to uni, for example, and come out the other end with all this knowledge and still not know what to do with yourself. Whereas if you are an apprentice, uh, you make the decision uh, up front, this is what I want to learn about. If you're an apprentice, you are taught, do this, and then you do it. Uh, and then you go on to the next thing. Years ago, I used to teach the saxophone. And I didn't have apprentices, but I had pupils. And, um, and yet, I used the apprenticeship model for my teaching. What I would do is, I'd uh, 
play the piece that we were learning to my, to my pupil. Uh, and then I would say, let's play it together. And then finally I'd say, now you play it on your own. And that's the model of apprenticeship. Watch the teacher, or listen to the teacher, watch them do it. And then, come on, let's do it together. And then now it's over to you, you do it. I had uh, some of the most frustrating pupils I had were, were adults. Because the adults would want to play the saxophone and, you know, they think they, there must be a shortcut. There must be some hack, there must be some YouTube video I could uh, watch and I'll learn in six weeks how to play Baker Street. They always want to play Baker Street. There's a saxophone solo, a pop tune. And I say, well, yes, you can play Baker Street. But first of all, you need to learn how to play Twinkle Twinkle, Little Star. And Mary Had a Little Lamb and all the rest of it. You've got to... There are no shortcuts. You've just got to learn. And you've got to take it a step at a time. You can't run before you can walk. And if you're an apprentice, you just have to do the one task that your teacher gives you to do. Well, I want to say that Jesus' model of teaching is an apprenticeship model. He had apprentices. We call them disciples. And they came and they watched Jesus do what he did. They saw him preach the good news. They saw him heal the sick and drive out demons. And then they spent time with him. And then after that he said, right, now you go and do it. I wonder whether the church, almost at large, not just our church, but all of our church, we're... We're more like a university than an apprenticeship. What do I mean by that? We come to church and we learn stuff. We read the Bible and we learn about God. And then we're left scratching our heads thinking, well, I still don't know quite what to do with that. I still don't know quite what God is calling me to do. But then we come back to church the next Sunday and we fill our heads with more information. Uh, but we're still not quite sure how to put it into practice. And what does God want me to be doing with this? And it can go on for years. And you know what? Sometimes it can feel like we never quite graduate from university. We fill our heads with stuff, but even years later, we're still wondering what God wants us to do. Jesus never wanted us to be like that. So I want you to be my apprentices. At the end of... His earthly ministry said to his disciples, now I'm sending you out and I want you to go and make disciples. He never told his followers to build big churches and put on fancy programs and get bums on seats. There's nothing wrong with that. But what he actually called them to do was to go and make disciples. We support a, a, a missionary in India. His name's Ben Francis. And he came here uh, about 18 months ago. And they have a model that they use for telling people about the Christian faith. What they do is they go into a village in India and uh, they'll tell them a story. It might be the story that Tom was quoting uh, earlier on, the story of the prodigal son. They'll tell them this story and they say, right, this week, go and tell others that story. Okay, and they all go and tell others the story. 
And then the next week they come back and he said, well, now we'll tell you another story. But you've got to go and tell others. And they don't have buildings. They all just meet under a tree. And when it gets like too many people, they go and say, right, form another group. This way they're making disciples. They're calling people to be apprentices. I wonder, do you want to be an apprentice? You're never too old to learn. Anyone feel too old to learn? You're not too old to learn. <laughs> Doesn't matter how old or young we are, we can be an apprentice. So, the disciples, they were Jesus' apprentices. And he shared his life with them. And we're told that once he's praying in private, uh, and, and yet his disciples were with him. They watched him pray. They were alongside him as he prayed. And he says, what are people saying about me? What, who do they say I am? Now this wasn't Jesus saying this because he was like super needy. I want attention, you know. Are they talking about me, you know? He was saying this because the question of who people say Jesus is, is the most important question that, that anybody can ask. We run a course uh, in this church called the Alpha Course. We had it in the autumn. And one of the very first questions that we ask is, who is Jesus? Who do you say Jesus is? See, because whoever we say Jesus is, uh, will define, that will define our life. Other religions recognize Jesus, but recognize him as a prophet. Some non-religious people would recognize Jesus as a good moral teacher. But Christians recognize Jesus as the Son of God. And everything hinges on this. Who is he? Now, the crowds had got it wrong. They were saying, well, some say it, you're John the Baptist, who had been killed by Herod. And they say, well, you've come back to life, and that's you. Some say you're a prophet from of old. Now, we know that he's neither of these things. He says, what about you? Who do you say I am? And the disciple, or the apprentice, Peter, is first in line to respond, as he often is. And he says, you are God's Messiah. Do you know sometimes when you, when, when you meet someone, you might be really quite impressed with them. You think, oh, this person's amazing. Maybe you put them on a pedestal. And you think, they're, they're fabulous. You're a little bit in awe of them. But as you get to know them, you find out, guess what? They're human just like you. <laughs> and they make mistakes and they're not perfect. And, and maybe you think, oh, maybe you might feel a bit disappointed with them. But with Jesus, it's the, actually the opposite. They met him and it, 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 wow, who is this guy? And the more they got to know him, the more they realized he was more than he appeared to be. He is not just the carpenter from Nazareth. He is God's chosen one. He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the one that has been predicted for hundreds of years throughout the scriptures. He's the one we've been waiting for. Now when you find someone, it's a, like that, it's a bit like you've won the lottery. It's a, you've hit the jackpot. And what do you want to do? Surely you want to go and tell everybody about it. We found the Messiah. We found the one you're all looking for. But surprisingly, Jesus says to do exactly the opposite. He strictly warns them not to tell anybody. 
when you've got good news. It's hard not to share it, isn't it? You want people to know. He says, don't tell a soul. And the reason for that was because Jesus was going to be the Messiah that they weren't looking for. The kind of Messiah that most people wanted was a military leader who would help them to to go be strong and, and they could rebel against the Roman Empire and kick them out. But Jesus just wasn't like that. And what Jesus embodied was two figures from the Bible, two Old Testament personas. The first one was the Son of Man. And you can read about the Son of Man in Daniel chapter 7. This heavenly figure who comes into God's presence with glory and angels and people bow down and honor him. And Jesus describes himself as the Son of Man. But he also says, effectively, I'm the suffering servant as well. Isaiah chapter 53 talks about a servant who will take upon himself the sins of the world and suffer for our behalf. And Jesus says, I'm the son of man, but I'm also the suffering servant. And both these things are fulfilled in me. And this really wasn't the kind of Messiah that they wanted. They wanted the big, strong leader. And actually, Jesus wasn't as impressive as that. And then he says, I'm going to suffer. See, as soon as they realize who he really is, then he says, actually, here's what's actually going to happen to me. I'm going to suffer. The Son of Man must suffer many things. It's my destiny. I have to suffer. And not only that, I'm going to be rejected. There was an unholy trinity of religious leaders, the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law. And they're all going to reject me. Why? Because I'm not the kind of Messiah that they're looking for. They're going to look at me and find, well, you don't match up, so they'll reject me and say that I'm blaspheming and, 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 and talking rubbish. And not only that, I must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Jesus knew his destiny. And then he says, and if you want to come after me, you're going to suffer as well. Now, if you want to get followers, if you want people to believe in you, you want to offer them something good, surely. You want to say, follow me and I will enhance your life. If you follow my methods, you will win friends and influence people. If you do what I'm saying, you'll get rich quick. Uh, You'll have a much more fulfilled life. There are lots of books, self-help books that... Say, you know, follow what I'm saying uh, and you'll find the answer. And trust me, this is the best thing since sliced bread. But Jesus doesn't say that. In fact, what he says is really bad public relations. Jesus is the worst salesman ever. Because what he says is, if you want to come after me, you've got to die. You've got to die. This week I was watching a film. Um, it's the kind of film that I like to watch when no one else is in the room uh, because no one else is interested in our family. But it was about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was... Um, sorry. Uh, it was not a rom-com. Uh, <laughs> that's really bad, isn't it? Too easy. Yeah. Anyway, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor and a theologian in Germany in the 1930s. 
and he fought against and objected to the Nazi regime. Ended up being thrown into prison. And uh, he, in fact, was part of a plot to assassinate Adolf Hitler. He didn't believe in murder, but he, he thought that this was the, worst, the, less, the lesser of two evils, if you like. And uh, tragically, he was, he was killed by the Nazis just like a month or so before the end of the Second World War. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, who was prepared to stand up for what he believed in, he was prepared to pay the price. He was willing to die for his faith. And he wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. And in it he says, when Christ calls us, he calls us to come and to die. Now when you came into church this morning, we said, you can have a pastry, but you're actually called to die today. Do you think that sounds quite appealing? Do you like the idea of that? Most of us in church, we don't like to major on this message. And I apologize if you're visiting because this is about as challenging and as tough as these messages get. But don't blame me, please, because it's what's in the Bible. It's what Jesus says. Whoever wants to follow me, whoever wants to be my apprentice, must deny themselves. <clears throat> Jesus says. Now, I wonder if you've heard of a man called Alan Sugar. He's looking for an apprentice. Has anyone ever thought of being on that TV program? Yeah. Uh, I think it's on the 18th series now. And uh, people come in and they go, yeah, I'm going to change the world. Pick me, Alan. I'm the best. You know, never mind the others. You know, I've got, you know, such brilliant ideas. I am the brightest and the best. And what will he say to them? He say, you're fired. Jesus doesn't want apprentices like that. He wants apprentices who will actually sacrifice themselves, who will deny themselves. He says, I want people, if they're going to follow me, they've got to take up their cross daily. Now, the cross is something that's become jewellery, right? But the reality is, in the Roman Empire, it was the most degrading, horrific form of capital, 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 capital punishment that you could have ever imagined. It's a, if you wear crosses around your neck, it's a bit like having an electric chair or a lethal injection around your neck. If you saw someone taking up their cross, being ushered by Roman soldiers. You knew where they were going. And you knew that they wouldn't be coming back. It was a one-way ticket. They would be going to die. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you've got to take up your cross. But he said, you've got to take it up daily. Now, he did not mean that literally, because once you've taken up your cross, literally... You know, that's it. It's a one-way street. But Jesus meant it metaphorically. He did mean it seriously, but he didn't mean it literally. Take up your cross daily. Now, what does that mean? That means dying to ourself. That means letting go of what I want to do and saying, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And follow Jesus. 
I was watching a documentary of uh, Little Richard, rock and roll legend Little Richard. And he was, uh, he was brought up in the church, but then went over and played the devil's music. Rock and roll. Maybe some of you are fans of Little Richard. And he did end up living the lifestyle of rock and roll. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And then in the 1970s, he, he realized he was lost. And then he came back to God. He turned away from his lifestyle and uh, came back to God. And he would often quote the verse in this passage. He says, what does it profit someone if they gain the whole world but lose their very soul? And little Richard had fame and fortune and all that it had to offer. But he'd lost himself. And so he said, I'm going to come back to God. You know, some of the most famous, successful people are the most lost people, sadly. And often people will say, you know, if only you were in my position, you'd know that fame, fortune, success, all the rest of it, it's nothing. Because I've got it and I know it's not what I need. If we lose ourselves in the process, it, it brings us nothing. The irony is, <clears throat> if you want to have a full life, you have to empty yourself. If you want to live, you have to die. If you want to be successful, you have to be willing to be a failure. This is the call to discipleship. This is the call to apprenticeship. Jesus isn't looking for perfect people, but he's looking for available people who are willing to say, Lord, I will take up my cross and follow you. Now you might think, this is madness. Why would anyone want to do this? But the thing is, Jesus endured the cross for the joy that he knew was before him. The irony is, you will be the most fulfilled and the most happy and the most joyful and the most peaceful a most content person if you follow this road. If you're willing to give it all up, rather than trying to find yourself willing to lose your life, be an apprentice of Jesus, then, yeah, you will have a life to the full. But the only way is to let go of everything. There's some really challenging words here. Whoever is ashamed of me, Jesus says. My words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory. I find that really challenging. If Jesus was Superman, if he was, you know, Clint Eastwood, you know, riding into town and blasting everyone away and saving people, whatever, then, I, you know, we'd be cool with that. But he isn't. Yes, he's the Son of Man, but he's also a suffering servant. And if we confess the name of Jesus, not everybody is going to think that's the coolest thing ever. Actually, there's going to be a cost to it. And we know that in some countries, the cost of following Jesus is to lose your life. Or at least to suffer, to go into prison or whatever. But what might it mean for us? You know, for some people, to lay down their life and follow Jesus means... To literally 
sell everything, relocate, and maybe go and live with street children in another part of the world. For some people, that will be their call. But for others, it might just mean being a little bit kinder to your family. Now, I'm not offering this as a cop-out. I'm just trying to say that it will be different for different people. What does taking up your cross every day look like? Well, on Tuesday, it might look like, you know, having that difficult conversation that you know you need to have, but you'd rather bottle it. On Wednesday, it might look like being willing to pray for that person at work who you know is struggling. On Thursday, it, it, it might look like coming back to God because you haven't really been praying at all this week. <laughs> On Friday, it might look like, actually I'm going to spend time with this person rather than, oh, I'd really rather just put my feet up and chill. I know I really should go and sing this, see this person or give them a call. It will look different for different people on different days. There is not one rule for everyone. You know between you and God what this is about. The question is whether we're willing daily to take up our cross. Yesterday, Tanya and I celebrated 23 years of marriage. And it's been a cross to bear. No, <laughs> it really hasn't. What? <laughs> we had who let the dads out? Is that one? Oh, thanks. Thanks a lot, Tom. Um, no, we went out on Friday night. We went out on Friday night. It was, it was really nice. But you know, um, we got married 23 years ago yesterday, and we made a decision to be married, and we signed the certificate. And all, uh, what do we do? We signed the registry, whatever. And we got a marriage certificate. But you, you know what? Every day, though, I still have to make a decision to be married to Tanya. In so much as I still got to be, well, you know what? I'm still going to try and be the best husband I can be. And it's still a daily commitment. It's still a decision I make. Now, when you decide to follow Christ, it says a one-off decision. And what happens is, like Tom shared that story, the father welcomes you in, in, in his arms. He says, it's all right, it's all forgiven. You're welcome in my house. You belong to me, you're my child. We come to God. But then we make a daily decision after that to continue to follow Christ. And this is the tough and challenging message that we often miss out because it's kind of not that popular. But if we do miss it out, you know, this is where the church loses its teeth. It's where the church loses its grit because we never hear this message. If you want to follow Christ, it's a question of dying to yourself. Taking up your cross. You know what that will look like and the main thing is to just come before God and say, Lord, what do you want me to be into? Jesus isn't looking, all right, I've got nothing against university. I love university. But he's not looking for university students. He's looking for apprentices who will come along inside and say, Lord, just show me what to do. What next? I don't have all the answers. I don't know what my next job is next week, but today, what is the task for me today? And 
Rather than saying, Lord, I want to do what I want to do, I'm saying, Lord, I submit to your ways. There's a final verse that Fee read to us. And Tom asked me yesterday, sorry, I keep talking to talk about Tom. <coughs> I won't ever do that again, Tom. Uh, <coughs> final verse in this passage is one of those scratch-your-head verses, what did Jesus mean? And Tom said, what are you going to say about this? He said, Jesus says, I'll remind you, truly I tell you, some who are standing here to, will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. I almost missed this bit out because I thought, well. I read about this, I did my research, and I've come to this conclusion. I don't know what Jesus meant here. The commentary said, we don't know. It could mean this, could mean that. And I figure, if they don't know, I don't know. Jesus said, some of you who are standing here now, right, fair enough, will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. He was not referring to his second coming because that hasn't happened yet. And then if that was the case, then some of the disciples would be like 2,000 years old. I don't think that's the case. But there was going to be plenty of signs of the kingdom in the years to come. Right after this, actually, just a few days later, Peter, James and John would see Jesus transform before their very eyes in the transfiguration up the mountain. That was a sign of the kingdom. And then later, he would go to the cross and he would he'd be raised from the dead as well. Or again, signs of the kingdom. The greatest sign of all, in fact. And after that, they would await in Jerusalem from, for power from on high as the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. And then the early church was born. And they saw endless signs of the kingdom. Healings, miracles, mass conversions. So maybe that was what Jesus mean. But honestly, I don't know. There are plenty of verses in the Bible where we have to say we don't really know. But just, just, to, just to wind you up a little bit as I finish. The verses that we need to grapple with are not the ones that we don't really understand. The verses we need to grapple with in the Bible are the ones that we do understand but that we don't like. So I think it's fairly clear. Jesus says, take up your cross, die to yourself, deny yourself daily. It's the most extreme, barbaric language that he uses to make his point. The call to follow Christ actually is not an easy one. If anyone told you it's just a life enhancer, Christianity is just a bit of fun, they will lie. I apologise on their behalf. And if I've ever given that impression, I do apologise. So I'm going to just pause for a moment and then I'm going to lead us in prayer and I'm going to also challenge you to do something. Let's just have a moment of quiet.
Maybe you've heard this message before. You've reflected on these verses before. Maybe you haven't. We'll give you an opportunity. You would like to say, you know what, Lord? Take me on as your apprentice. I invite you to, if you're physically able to do this, I invite you to, invite you to stand if you would like to. So, Lord, yes. I don't know what this means for me. I don't, certainly don't know what it means for, some, for my friends, for my brothers, my sisters. But I'm willing to be your apprentice, Lord. Would you take me on? I don't just want to be hearing about you. I want to be doing what you're calling me to do. And Lord, I lay aside my own agenda. I lay aside my own plans. And I say, Lord, here I am. I'm available. I lay down my life before you. If you're standing, you're not saying your life's perfect. You're not saying you're a super Christian. You're just saying, Lord, I'm yours. Give you my heart. Give you my soul. Give you my finance. Give you my future. Give you my relationships. Give you my career. Give you my retirement. Lord, I surrender it all into your hands. Jesus is calling us to be his apprentices and then to go out and make apprentices too. This is his church. And if you're challenged, I'm challenged too. Well, I bless you, Lord, for what you're doing in our hearts. How you're speaking to us. You know our hearts. You know the human heart way better than we do ourselves. Today we surrender to you. Give it all up to you, Jesus. May your will be done. May your kingdom come on earth as in heaven. Amen. I'm going to finish with a song and invite everybody to stand.